morning. Welcome to episode 154. Yes, we're back to numbering the episodes, Business and Legal Week in Review. Today is July 13th, 2015. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, along with Bob Hughes. Good morning, Bob. How you I'm doing? here. Good morning. I'm yeah. good. I'm good. I'm ready. Nice. All right. So we're back to numbering the episodes just because a lot of people were talking to me last week about, oh, what episode was this? And you know, without the numbers, it's more <laughs> difficult to identify. So we're going back to numbering. Yeah. It's all right. We'll be fine. All right. So last week, you were um, not here. You were doing something more important, more more fun, oh, I guess. Oh, right? <laughs> That's one way. More, something more important, yes. I, I have nothing. My kids are important to me. That's about it, Peter. I just I do things based on availability. <laughs> so I prioritize my life. And uh, uh, the, uh, the, radio, the radio station I used to work for uh, had a vacation issue, and so they needed someone to fill in for a week. Uh, but they're sorry now. <laughs> oh, come on. I bet you it was fun. Yes. The FCC called. <laughs> it's all Bob's fault. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, no, it's, it's no fun getting the FCC visit. That's that's for you. That pucker factor goes high real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we have. So uh, no, yeah, good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, we have a bunch of things to get through today. We've got some news I want to talk about, obviously, and some housekeeping. Um, but before we do that, I just want to thank today's sponsor, and today's show is sponsored by Interconnect. Now, you got to check this out, Bob. This is really, really cool. How many times mm-hmm. have you wanted to work remotely and collaborate with someone, but you just can't find the solution because most of the programs or software out there, it's either super expensive, like if you wanted to do um, a computer-to-computer or whiteboard or you wanted to talk to somebody in real time with like real audio and real video. It's like oh, hundreds of dollars. As a, a as a musician in, in the studio rat all the time, because everything has a latency to it, a delay. And so it's just very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. Not only that, you've got issues with the expense associated with whatever platform you're using. I've looked at some of them out there and they want, you know, over $150 a month. And if you don't use it on a regular basis, you're, oh, yeah. you're just throwing money away. And the other issue right. with it that I found is that a lot of them are not secure connections. And so if you do connect with somebody remotely, you have no idea who is going to be intercepting your communication. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where Interconnect comes in. Um, Interconnect is, is actually unbelievable. Uh, the website, which we'll have linked in our show notes, is interconnect. So it's I N T E R K A N E C T dot com. And they offer a complete solution for working remotely. They offer video chat whiteboard service, 100% private, secure, encrypted connections. Here's, here's where it's starting to get interesting no sign up, no registration, no login, real time audio oh. and video, instant messaging. Yeah, right? Peer-to-peer file there sharing. There you go. Yeah. That's what's well, not even that. And here's the best part. It's free. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> free. It's, yeah. It's actually, I, I, know what, I, I know what I'm doing after the show. <laughs> it's unbelievable. All you do is you put in your client's email and click the I Connect button, and it takes you directly to 
your completely secure connection. It's unbelievable. And I'll tell you, it is so much better than some of those pay services out there because oftentimes I find myself needing to collaborate remotely with somebody but just not being able to carry the cost of a $250 or $150 service. This solves the problem, and its security factor is what I love. Now, I'm going to show you, for those of you who are uh, watching live on YouTube Live, I'm going to show you InterConnect's website, okay? And I really mean what I say with respect to them because we don't promote or, or advertise companies on this show that we don't believe in. And this is one of them that we believe in. So I'm taking you through the InterConnect website. You'll see all the features here that I just talked about. Shows you how to connect in just two easy steps by entering your client's email and then clicking the I Connect button. And that's going to create the secure connection. Over here on the About Us page, it just talks a little bit more about what they do. It talks about privacy. And I'll tell you, the, the beauty in this is that you don't pay anything. So it's unbelievable. Uh, there's a video down here. I'm going to show you real quick because I think it really explains the situation. Hello, Joe. <clears throat> Hello. Yep. Oh, there you are. Okay, good. <laughs> you went quiet. No, hold on one second, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so hopefully uh, everyone watching on YouTube was able to uh, to see that spot. It really explains the entire process and what InterConnect does, and I really can't say enough about InterConnect as a company, as a service. So I encourage all of you out there, whether you are a large business, small business, you know, just a sole proprietor, just an independent contractor, whatever you might be, there are times that you're going to need to collaborate directly with somebody, and this is the service that I would recommend. It's interconnect, I-N-T-E-R-K-A-N-E-C-T dot com. All of the links to their page will be in the show notes, and uh, we want to thank them for sponsoring the show. All right, so now moving along into some housekeeping. Last week, we had a, a full week with some really exciting guests. We also did our first um, On a Different Note show which was super cool because we were able to do something completely different, completely unique, and that is talk to a musician about his experiences in business and his, his personal development, professional development, and some legal issues, and we played some of his music, and it was really, really cool. We had Nate Maingard on last week, and for those of you who listened to the show or downloaded it, what an amazing guy. First of all, an amazing musician, but his philosophy on life, the way that he um, just approaches things. You know, Bob, I know that you weren't with us last Wednesday, but mm -hmm. what was super, super amazing is that Nate was talking about how he stays true to himself as an artist and that he will not go and sell out. As a matter of fact, his music is free online. And all he does is he asks you to give him what you think his music is worth. 
That's pretty hmm. amazing, isn't it? And you no, that's a, that, and that's kind of one of those things you have to do today because you know it's, it's so difficult to move goods when it comes to CDs because everything is available for free, and it's probably the best way to do it. Honestly, in my estimation, is because just just say you know what if you want to pay for it, pay for it. If you don't, don't. And because it, it, you're 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 kind of giving people that choice anyway when you're releasing something on iTunes. The only thing the difference is is you're making someone else rich with it, i.e., yeah. iTunes. Or your label. And even if you're not on a label, iTunes still gets their cut. And it's really no better. It, it, granted, it's more widely distributed to a standpoint of someone doesn't know you, and here you go. But from a standpoint of your direct followers, it's, you may as well not. You can, you can give them a better rate if you, if you bypass some of those services. Yeah, and, you know, and that was what we were talking about. And, and with him, it was just so amazing. He has signed up through this, um, this, this, this website where he takes donations from people. He calls himself a modern-day troubadour, and for those of you who are familiar with troubadours of the past, they were always supported by people, by patrons, by people that listened to their sure. music and, and liked what they were doing. And, um, and that's how he survives. He does a lot of in-house concerts where he actually goes to people's houses. And we were talking to him about uh, getting... An understanding the law radio gig together. He's going to be coming back to the states next year. Yeah, I think oh. he's only been to yeah. It's going to be cool. He's only been to California once, so we're trying to get him to come here, and then we'll get some of our subscribers, our followers, our fans, and we'll sit down with him, and and we'll have a a pretty cool concert. So Great. that's cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> other thing that we did last week is we talked to Jillian Siegel. And that was really, really one of my favorite interviews. She wrote this book called Getting There. And in the book, she interviews 30 people. But I'm talking big-name people like Warren Buffett and uh, Jillian mm-hmm. Michaels. I mean, really big names. She, she was able to get these people to sit down with her to do an interview. And then she asked them about success and what they've, they've learned, what they can teach. And the book, it's like 202 pages, so it's super easy to get through. But, man, it was a really good time with her. She was very knowledgeable. And her own story is really exciting because she went to law school, left law school when she graduated, decided not to be a lawyer, thank God, and then became a photographer <laughs> and, and now has, has this book and another book. So it's really, really um, – that was a really good interview. Very, very happy that she was on. So Fun. our week was full. Yeah, we had uh, a, a lot of excitement. This week we have some good stuff, too. Are you a coffee drinker, Bob? I am not. Okay. I was not until a few years ago, mm-hmm. and then just out of necessity because I was falling asleep <laughs> or whatever it might be. And, you know, energy drinks have just uh, – I don't know. when I Energy drinks for me, they, they don't do anything for me. They just start to make me feel sick. So coffee is the way right. to go. But – on this week, we have on Thursday, we've got uh, the founder of Death Wish Coffee. And and you have to look up Death Wish Coffee. Death Wish Coffee is by far my my favorite coffee. It's um, one of the world's most strongest, most caffeinated coffee brands, coffee beans. And it's, it it's comes so strong, in this, it requires a double modifier. <laughs> it's just... It's it's badass coffee, and there's no other way to put it. It's just badass coffee, and I love it. So we're going to be talking to um, 
to the creator, the founder of Death Wish Coffee on Thursday. So I'm excited about that. And, it's uh, uh, has nothing to do with Charles Bronson and everything to do with just day. Good clean weather. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on their webpage right now. Yeah, they definitely uh, sporting the skull and crossbones. So it's, it's awesome, right? Stuff. It is really, really good. <laughs> yeah, and, and it just has. You like your coffee? So. Yeah, well, you know it. It was funny because I tried this coffee just without any recommendation. I just stumbled upon it. And I loved it. And then, you know, I figured, hey, let's let's get the, the creator on the show and talk about uh, his success and what he can teach us and what we can learn from him. But it wasn't like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm going to do this interview, so now let me drink the coffee. Months and months ago, <laughs> I, I was doing a show. It was like a Q&A show, and I happened to be drinking Death Wish coffee, and the bag was on the, on the table, on the, on the desk. And then I just talked about it for a minute. It had nothing. It wasn't like I was getting paid for it. It's just awesome. So, but a little bit of product okay. placement, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. All right no, so. it's, uh, well, it's, it's funny thing. And, and coffee drinkers are, you know, they're 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 they're, they're pretty loyal. That's the thing. You know, they don't. It's 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 um, you know, it's like a beer or anything else. It's it's a, that luxury, I suppose. But although it turns into a necessity, hopefully beer does not. Um, but people are fiercely loyal to their to their coffee. Yep, yep, absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's whether they're buying it off the shelf and making it at home or whatever. Oh, you have Maxwell's, you don't sank or you don't have Folgers, you don't have this. Ah, oh, man, you know, I really want this. I'll do this. You know, they're, they're, people people go with what they know and they know what they like. So there you go. It's, yeah, that's much my worth. wife. My <laughs> wife's got to go to Dunkin' Donuts. If she doesn't go to Dunkin' Donuts every day, you know the day is going to be bad. No matter what happens. No kidding. No, it's like no. alien invasion. Well, wait a minute. I've got to get my coffee first. I swear. It's crazy. <laughs> Something to think about when you plan residency. We're yeah. the nearest Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh, that's like all vacations. Is there Dunkin' Donuts near us? <laughs> yes, here. <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> oh. What did I miss last week? What, 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 all, what all happened in the world of law last week that was big outside of, obviously, the Confederacy falling apart? Finally, after, what, uh, 100 and some odd 50 years, the Confederacy has finally decided to give up. Yeah. yeah well, not they decided. They went, they went with the fight. They went with, finally lost. They went with the fight, though, yeah. You know, it's so interesting because we talked a couple weeks ago about the flag debate, and we talked about the Dukes of Hazard just in passing, you know, and mm-hmm. I was saying, oh, you know, yeah. what about Dukes of Hazard? I love that show. I mean, I grew up as a kid watching that show, and for me, it was just about these these you know good Southern boys who always, they always helped people. I mean, the only one that they didn't help was Boss Hogg, but they helped everybody. And so, for me, as a naive kid in the '70s, I didn't think anything of the Confederate flag. But would you believe that they have now Warner Brothers has now removed the. Uh, the Confederate flag from the top of the General Lee, and they're making yeah, new uh, pants on. What? This is <laughs> I. I, oh. what? I figured it would get your attention. Take this anymore? I'm, I'm off the show and I'm I'm moving. I'm heading to Washington. Um, <laughs> the. Uh, you know, in the sense that you know, you, you mentioned as a naive kid. I, I don't want to say you were naive at the time, um, although you may have been just based on age. But it wasn't. It's it. And that's that's the funny thing, and that's that's the, the the crux of this whole situation is what it represents to the person looking at it, the person using it. Um, 
and why has it become such a uh, a, a negative symbol, obviously because of the way some people use it, but it, 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 it's just a historic item. I mean, are we going to go and pull Hogan's Heroes off the air now because it's on uh, MeTV, which is a, a sub TV network that is, is popped up showing old reruns of of, of, um, of Hogan's Heroes? There's Nazi symbols everywhere. I know, I know, and you, you know, know that's and the thing. It's, it's, it's that's what scares yeah. me because I understand the decision to pull the Confederate flag from state capitals. Yes. I get that. Yes, makes makes a ton of sense. Yeah, but you know, to take it off of something like an iconic television show, I don't know that that just starts to worry me because, like you said, where does that spiral lead us? So, you remember, um, you remember Cooter from the show? Yeah, sure. The sure, mechanic. Sure. Well, Cooter, apparently, mm-hmm. I was checking this out because I found this story just so kind of amazing that, you know, here we go all these years later, and now we're going to be removing the Confederate flag from the General Lee, which was just, it's like, it's such an iconic car. It's such a Batmobile. Well, Cooter yeah. apparently has made his living, and quite a good living, off of Dukes of Hazard. So Cooter has a website, and it's called Cooter'sPlace.com, and there's a Cooters Nashville, there's a Cooters Gatlinburg, a Cooters Sperryville, and <laughs> he sells all kinds of, of um, um, related memorabilia and, and sure. signs and cars and stuff. So he put out this statement um, in, in light of what Warner Brothers did, and he says this. Um, let's see. He goes on to say, that this is a new level of PC, political correctness, idiocy. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being insulted by morons. Now, here is the (laughs) flaw in that slaw, um, as Roscoe P. Coltrane used to say. And he goes on to talk about how frustrated he is with the fact that they're taking it away from, from this show and that it didn't have that meaning you know, it's interesting. I'd love to know what, what people think about this because, for me, I totally get taking it down. I think you agree with me taking it down from the state capitals. Yeah. But I don't agree with removing a, a piece of history because it is television history. I mean, that's like saying that Dorothy didn't have ruby red slippers. I don't know. And, and you know, the thing of it is, it, it, I guess, what's the context in, in, in history? You, 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 even if it didn't have anything to do with the TV show itself, I mean, the removing of the flag, um, the TV show had, if there was a, I, I mean, here's the, here's the stupidest statement I'm ever going to make. Even if it ever even had a, had a Nazi flag on top of it, it had nothing to do with how they behaved. Right. And, you know, they didn't, right. they didn't, you know, and, and, and that's a dumb statement. I recognize that. But the point being it wasn't an integral part except for the fact that they were from the South and they were rebels. Yes. The flag, that was, they, they rebelled against boss hog who was evil. And I'm sure that a lot of Southerners saw the North as evil because they wanted to impose what they believed on the Southern States. And, and they didn't agree with, I, I get that's the rebel mentality. That's fine and dandy, but it's not, it's 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 not the usage that is being um, managed. It is the whole thing. It is the it, I hate to use the term whitewashing of 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 the situation, you know, across the board. And it's yeah. unfortunate. 
Um, there's two stories actually out there. One is about, and you may have seen it, is the state of Florida has a an historic display of all the flags that have flown over the state. So they have the French flag. They probably have the Spaniard flag. They have the Confederate flag. They have the stars and bars. And they have, and of course, obviously, they have the flag. Those are the stars and stripes as well. But it is a uh, I want to call it a museum. It is an historic display, which warrants, in my mind, the display of you're saying all the flags, and it's all the flags yep. that have flown over the or take the whole thing down. And the same thing um, with 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 Disney is doing the same thing. Um, Disney is removing the flag from a display at Epcot's American Adventure. Banner, which was among more than 40 displayed from throughout America's history, was the third flag of the Confederacy. The similar Southern Cross symbol does not take up the entire banner as it does with the Confederate battle flag. Instead of the blue cross with white stars on a red background, is displayed in the upper left-hand corner, bordered by a field of, of, of white with a thick red stripe at the other end. So they're doing the same thing. They have an historic display. And for some reason, this flag can no longer participate. Yeah. It's discriminatory against this flag. I, if I were the ACLU, I'd be suing on behalf of the flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I think, and I think you're going to agree with me. Here's what I think it comes down to. Disney is removing the flag because of money, I think. I think that oh, you're yeah. going to have oh, yeah. sponsors pulling out. Oh, I think the same thing mm-hmm. with the General Lee. I, I don't know if that yep. airs on TV land or whatever network it airs on now. I think it comes down to just money. And I think that these these um, executives are so concerned that they're going to lose money or sponsorships. You know, look, I agree the same way you do that the flag has negative connotations because of its use by the Klan, by the white supremacist movement. Bad. Absolutely bad. But historically, I view it differently. Historically, I look at it like the Gadsden flag, you know, the don't tread on me flag. I look at it differently. Right. And, and I think that it is part of our history as the United States. And, you know, I would, I've even spoken. I've spoken to African-American historians who have said to me that they embrace the memorabilia, the museums that talk about slavery, because it was un- uh, unfortunate, but it was part of our history. And it's where, if, if we didn't have that, there wouldn't be the civil rights movement of the 1960s. There wouldn't be the equality that I think we share today. And I think that it's just part of the learning and growing process of a nation. It's what built us. The same way that you go to Russia and you look at the communists and the Bolsheviks, maybe you don't want to talk about that now, but it was part of the history of the country. It's what made the country. So it worries me that now you're going to be erasing or hiding history. Right. Absolutely. And it's unfortunate, but I don't see any way that that ship has sailed. You know, I wonder... I wonder what places like Gettysburg are are going to do because Gettysburg has a really nice museum gift shop right inside of the battlefield. You know, yeah, and, and, and the, and the, the park service said they're not going to sell it anymore. 
Yeah. Now, I know the last time I was in Gettysburg, which was about a year and a half ago, um, they had the blue and the gray hats from, from you know, for kids. But the, the gray sure. hat, the Confederate hat, did not have a flag on it. But nor did the, the, the northern, the Union hats. They were just blue and no, gray. Yeah, and that's what they yeah. symbolized. But, yeah, and um, that's, that's, that's historically accurate. Yeah, right. So I think that that's probably the way that it's going to go. Um, but, you know, how far does the flag dispute go? You know, because of the flag, and, and again, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be removed from state capitals, but it caused a right. backlog in, in the courts because of this dispute when it, it happened at, at this particular time. So um, it's good. I would think it's going to get challenged, don't you? Someone's, someone's going to push it. Maybe. Or maybe this is one of those things that it's just so far gone and nobody really believes in it except for the Klan and, you know, where that, that falls on deaf ears. Yeah. Well, and Kid Rock, have you seen what Kid Rock has done? He, he um, I guess in the past, and he may own a, a General Lee version or has a car that resembles the General Lee, um, but, and I know he has been seen before with the helmet while riding a motorcycle with the stars and bars on the helmet. Um, he has basically told people to kiss his ass, quote unquote. Right. <laughs> He's not doing any self-censoring when it comes to what he displays or what he chooses to display in his artwork, concerts, et cetera. So, I mean, he's not kowtowing to the, to the, who's pushing him, which is, that's his decision. Now, of course, there's backlash to that Detroit where he has a, um, an interactive museum exhibit at the Detroit uh, musical museum or the Detroit city museum or whatever historical museum. Um, they, they want him remove his, his, um, um, exhibit removed and they fail to recognize how much money he puts into that museum yeah. as well. So, yep. But in, in the same token, here's a guy with a black son. Is he racist? I'd have to ask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, it's, it's really true. And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know that it's going to go away, but I don't really see it being something challenged. We did see that Supreme Court case with the Texas license plate that had the stars mm-hmm. and bars. And, and that's what I think kind of helped push this all along, because here you've got a case that's pending or was pending before the Supreme Court. And so somebody else is looking at it, too. You know it's a, an important, quote-unquote, important issue. So I don't think it's going to go away, but I don't see anybody coming back and challenging it, really. No, no. And actually, that's, that's, that's a great segue into our first story, um, because it, it, it involves that Texas decision. And it's whether or not the, the Ku Klux Klan can adopt a highway. And an appellate court is considering the matter. A Georgia court hearing arguments on Thursday about whether the state violated a Ku Klux Klan group's constitutional rights by refusing its application to a highway cleanup program and whether a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision applies in the North Georgia KKK group applied to join the state's Adopt-A-Highway program in May 2012, hoping to clean up along a part of Route 515 in the Appalachians. The state Department of Transportation, which runs the program, denied the application. The department said its program was aimed at civic-minded organizations in good standing. Now, the ACLU sued on behalf of the KKK in September of 2012, arguing that the state violated the group's right to free speech. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Sean Ellen LaGuerra agreed and ruled in the group's favor in November, saying the KKK's group application was treated differently than others and that viewpoint-based discrimination is not allowed under the Georgia Constitution. 
The state appealed, and the, the uh, Georgia Court of Appeals heard arguments in the case on Thursday. The judge made clear that they are very interested in hearing arguments from both sides as to whether a U.S. Supreme Court decision in a Texas case issued last month applies in the case. The U.S. Supreme Court upheld Texas's refusal to issue a specialty license plate sought by the Sons of Confederate Veterans bearing the group's logo, which includes the Confederate battle flag. The 5-4 rulings in Texas could limit the content of license plates because they are state property. Senior Assistant Attorney General Julie Jacobs said the KKK's claims are barred by the principle of sovereign immunity, which protects the government entity from being sued without their consent. Alan Begner, who represents the KKK, argued the state is not protected by sovereign immunity from the constitutional challenges raised in the case. All citizens must have the right to challenge constitutional violations or we'd have no constitution at all, he said. But even if sovereign immunity doesn't apply, the KKK's arguments are still unsound because the adopt-a-highway signs constitute government speech and not constitutionally protected free speech, the state lawyers argued. So here you have just a different sign that's still owned by the state. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not, a, it's not a license plate. So it sure would seem that that Supreme Court ruling would apply. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's it's quite clear, and I think that the plan, which to me, I mean, it, it's really sort of a dying um, and I know that people are going to argue that numbers have increased as far as enrollment. I, I think it's just it's one of those, those those groups that just don't go away. And maybe you'll have three or four people at an event. And, and, you know, it is what it is. But I think they do things like this to try to drum up publicity, because what's better sure. free publicity wise than something like this? But legally speaking, I mean, they have no right to adopt the highway because it, it absolutely is. Um, you know, state property, whether or not they could adopt something else that's not necessarily state run or government owned, that, you know, would be another issue. But then when you get into the private sector, private people don't have to let you do anything either. They don't have to. So I don't see any way for them to do anything. There's going to be no road that is going to be patrolled or cleaned (laughs) up by the KKK. Well, here's the deal. You could clean up if you really care about the road. Go ahead and clean it up. We're just not putting a sign there telling yeah. everyone that you did it. <laughs> but, you know, what? I have an image. Could you imagine seeing four or five or six people in the hoods picking up litter on the side of the road? <laughs> and and, and then, then can you imagine the, 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 the four or five people that stop and beat the crap out of them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or the 40 or 50 people. Um, yeah. You know, and actually, here here's the question, I guess, here, maybe here's the split on this, Peter, is, and, you know, I mean, if you have a group, what's the difference between, and here's, here, I'll, I'll take one step back further, if the um, Texas ruling was that you can put the, what was it, the Sons of the Confederate Veterans, you can put that wording on the plate, but you can't put what we deem offensive is which the the flag right is the kkk is the is the name ku klux klan the offensive part or is there a logo that's offensive is it the name that's the problem i think you can probably go back and make an argument you know craft an argument that basically says what is the ku klux klan but a hate group and as a hate group those words those those letters they are the symbol. When you see KKK, it's like the AAA. You, you know. know you're going to be able to get an auto map <laughs> and take you from one place to another. So KKK, True. I think, 
it becomes in itself a symbol. And I think the fact that you can so, argue okay. that, yeah, I think that you can also argue the hate group status. And I think that because of that, you're going to be able to craft any argument you want just simply by relying on the fact that they are a, a, a watched, a known hate, hate group. I mean, there's no way around it. And I think that that limits their ability. I mean, it was the same way, I want to say maybe 15 years ago, with the Aryan Nation, there was a whole big to-do in one of the, the, the you know churches, and I'll use that term mm-hmm. loosely, um, out in the Midwest somewhere, wherever the <laughs> Aryan Nation's headquarters are. And there was a whole big to-do there about um, you know what their rights were to assemble. And in one of the things that I recall reading in one of the legal documents, they basically acknowledge the fact that the Aryan Nation is a group set up that is they, it can absolutely operate, but it is also deemed a hate group. And that helped them with some of their legal arguments just by that terminology. I, I think the same way mm-hmm. that when you take somebody in who is uh, considered or perceived to be a terrorist, now all of these different laws apply because of the terrorism status, you know? that we didn't have before. So I, I think that that idea of hate group hurts them. And I don't think there's any way for them to ever change it, even if they have big sales. <laughs> they just need a better PR government department. That's all. <laughs> Maybe more, more positive, not so much hate. We don't hate everybody else. We just love ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and people that look just <laughs> like us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, anyway, antiquation. Um, speaking about personal rights and rights in general, California. Now, here, let me read, let me read the, the headline that was written, and I'll read mine. Uh, California right to die bill stalls amid opposition from religious groups. The obvious headline should have been California right to die bill. Not dead yet. Um, <laughs> legislation that would have allowed terminally ill patients to legally end their lives in California stalled on Tuesday amid fierce opposition from religious groups. The authors of the Right to Die bill did not present the the legislation to the Assembly Health Committee as scheduled because it did not have enough votes to advance. Religious groups say allowing doctors to prescribe life-ending drugs is assisted suicide and goes against God's will. Religious opposition helped defeat similar legislation in California in 2007. Uh, Montana, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington have court decisions or laws permitting doctors to prescribe life-ending drugs. A court ruling is pending in New Mexico. California's bill was modeled on Oregon's law, which has been used in more than 750 deaths since voters approved it in 1994. Advocates for people with uh, with disabilities say terminally ill patients could be pressured to end their lives to avoid burdening their families. The California Medical Association had dropped its decades-long opposition in aid in dying legislation, saying the decision should be left up to individual doctors if they want to help patients end their lives. Legislatures in Maine and Colorado have rejected right-to-die bills this year already, and similar efforts have stalled in other states. Um, This is, I don't understand how anyone could stop you outside of your your insurance provider. Yeah. Because usually there's a suicide clause. Um, But, uh, and and this is, here's a little TMI for you. I have a brother. Uh, he's my only brother and he's in a situation where he had a stroke almost 10 years ago now and his quality of life is horrible he has left side paralysis and muscle rigidity in those limbs he is uh has a colostomy bag he has a catheter he has a short-term memory issue he 
doesn't speak very well anymore from having 10 tracheotomies. Um, I'm not saying he wants to die, but if he did, I would never stop him and I would surely understand. Right. But Michigan doesn't, but Michigan doesn't allow it. And so that presents a whole different issue. And then I actually got to play horseshoes once with Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Um, I let him win the, um, <laughs> but <laughs> a killer shot doc. Um, but I mean, here's the thing is, is in a state like California, you'd think that it would be, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how religion's playing into stopping this. Um, yeah. but what is it going to take to get governments to let people make their own decisions? I mean, and there's some gray area that, like they talked about, you know, I mean, being pressured about, you know, burdening families and burdening government systems and stuff like that. But, you know, what's it going to take? I don't understand the reasoning behind it, quite honestly. Um, and, and here's my, my point, right? From, from my own religious standpoint, from my own personal belief mm-hmm. system, I, I would not want to take my own life because of my fear of burning in an eternal, you know, blaze of fire. And I don't want to, I don't want to go that sure. So just from my own religious beliefs, I wouldn't do that. But I know that what you said is absolutely true, which is basically that if the state doesn't allow you to die peacefully through, uh, you know, medically induced death, you're going to do it yourself anyway. And, and it's going it's to be painful. Painful and expensive. And I don't mean expensive to you because rope is relatively cheap, but I'm talking about expensive to the taxpayers because you're going to have the police. So I don't understand the rationale behind it. Um, I think it could be crafted in a way that addresses certain situations where someone might have the right to choose to die and, and you know, you, you establish a threshold of what would be considered permissible. Because, you know, somebody who has sure. a hangnail that decides they want to kill themselves, maybe they <laughs> shouldn't be offered that right. right. Somebody who's terminally ill or in a situation like your brother, you know, maybe that decision would be made. And, you know, look, my, my mother died a couple years ago. It was really, really mm-hmm. kind of shocking and terrible. And I remember the last day or two in the hospital with her. She was in New York and, and they were just trying, they knew she was going to die and they were just trying to see if they could prolong her life slightly. And she had all these tubes. And at one point she said to me, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? And I was like, Oh my God, heartbroken because what do I, what do I do? You know? And, and so in that situation where she's telling the doctors, I don't want this treatment anymore and they listened to her and they said okay and then she died you know within 12 hours mm-hmm. is that the same thing i mean you know what i mean like when you do a living um, will is it the same thing when you decide that you don't want life-saving measures and, and that's yeah, that and that's where i was gonna you know, i think there's a split there is there's a difference at least from a legal standpoint from what i can understand between refusing life continuing treatment versus prescribing or inducing life ending um yes processes yeah that and, is and that's the where the line is right yeah absolutely mm. but 
my my argument to that is, isn't it the same thing? Aren't we just playing semantics and calling it something else? Because um, I don't think it is. I think um, I think there is a, a difference. You know, and, and for lack of better examples, let's use my brother. Um, he has he could probably refuse some different he probably could refuse a lot of the medications he's on and it probably would quicken um the pace at which he deteriorates but it's not going to be pretty it's not gonna be any fun and it's not going to be immediate um and so that's that's versus if he said you know what i'm tired of, of laying here breathing it's what i do it's all i do i eat breathe and and and, and evacuate um and so I want that to end now. Now you have now that now that's where and I I can see where you figure the semantics, but there's an actionable process that increases or or, or expedites the process. Right. And that's where people don't want to make I don't say they don't want to make that call, but they don't want to allow that call to be made. Because yeah, he could absolutely and I'm his medical POA, so I could stop that. Um, but I never would from a standpoint of saying, I don't want more drugs anymore. I let him make his own decisions. And one thing after his last bout of intensive care, he spent a month in ICU. Um, he said, I don't ever want to do that again. I want to, I want a DNR. I do not resuscitate. Right, right. And so, so, so he has made that decision already. And I would obviously respect that to the point where if he did end up back in an ICU situation, they said, we have to do this to keep him alive then at that point I would have to make that call or hopefully he would be cognizant enough and he may not be. And that's going to be a very, very, very difficult decision to make for me. Yeah. But for him, for him, he, he may, it's exactly what he wants though. And that's what I have to understand. You know, but that's where, you know, for me, I wonder what is behind this decision not to permit um, medically assisted suicide, sure, for lack of exactly. a better term, because you know I, what what is what is the driving force? Why is it being stopped? It, it cannot be just purely based on morals, because our politicians no, 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 no. are the most immoral people ever. So <laughs> I don't I don't see that. Yeah. And I think I, there's I a, there's understand. a fear of I think there's a fear of a development of. Um, possibly a, a patient abuse where there is say, you know, maybe families say, you know, you, you staying here alive is draining our savings accounts. You really need to end this or, um, Hey, we could really use your liver. Yeah. And so I, I have to believe that's the protectionism in it, but it's, it's, it's not that I can make the decision for somebody to say, you know what? Hey, I think we want to do this. It's that person has to make maybe and maybe it's just the pressuring on that person that says, you know, you can't you're, you're going to pressure that person. That person's going to make a decision. But that, there has to be a review process. I don't uh, that's the only way it's going to work. And I don't know enough about um, Montana, Oregon, Vermont or Washington's laws to know what their review process is. Yeah. yeah it's but, interesting. Uh, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting, you know, to, to think about what other countries do with respect to assisted suicide and how that impacts their um, sort of, of system. 
because I, I could understand our government saying, listen, we don't want people being abused, but they're going to be abused anyway. Um, just go to a nursing home where they're not taking care of people the right yeah. way. Yeah. You know, you see it there sure. all the time. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's this, you go back to the, the whole Hippocratic oath and assisted suicide, physician assisted suicide is, is the absolute antithesis of what you're supposed to be saying. But I want to go back to that Hippocratic Oath for a second. That came out in 400 B.C. So if we're going to take yeah, the I don't hear Confederate anybody. flag off the General Lee, exactly can we go right, back <laughs> to the Hippocratic Oath? Or the Second oath. Amendment. <laughs> they weren't talking. They were talking about muskets then. Yeah, well, yep. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah, no, things change, and then that's, but all in all, um, what trumps what? Even if, yeah. even if you, even if you had, you know, adjusted the Hippocratic oath or or held true to it, at what point does a doctor's care supersede my right to decide what I want? Right, so, and, that's, and that's, that's, I think that's what's getting missed. Yeah, that's that freedom that 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 you know you just. Are you truly free? I'm just looking it up now. Belgium, the Netherlands, Colombia, and Luxembourg, where my parents had a, a huge fight on one trip one year when my father worked for a French. He worked for Cointreau Liqueur. I'll never forget it. We go to Luxembourg, which is this tiny, tiny um, principality. And it, it was there's a king and a queen, and my mother was all excited. And they had this whole big fight because I think he wouldn't ask for directions. So that's how I remember Luxembourg. But <laughs> apparently, you can you can choose to die in Luxembourg, Colombia, the Netherlands, and Belgium. And I am pretty sure that the Netherlands and Belgium, I think that they're pretty decent places to live on all fronts, sure. economically and and mm-hmm. from um, a quality of life standpoint. So yeah. I wonder, do these countries see? a problem apparently not because they haven't repealed these laws I, i'd love to look at that and see what's they what's it like in the netherlands if you decide that you don't want to continue on with your life how does it impact yeah. the economy the others physicians i'd like to know is there is there a black market for pre-used certified livers i don't know yeah you don't know <laughs> you just don't know but no, I, well, and it's not—it's not something that's going to go away. I guess the question is: Do you ever think? Do you ever see it? I mean, who would have thought that marriage would have come out of the state control? Do you see this coming out of state control? Do you see this becoming a national talking point? Uh, if so, it's years and years away, and I really years think that sure. I think the idea of suicide has such a negative connotation, and no matter what you want to call it, the fact that they designate it as assisted suicide. I think that that suicide term is just, it just eliminates all hope of this possibly becoming something that could be approved in more states. You know, the, the, <laughs> the, the right to marriage, I think that's different. I, I was just talking to um, some people. We need a better weekend. euphemism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and, and hasn't that happened there with other things in, in this country? Yes. Where Civil union? You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you change the terminology, and now it becomes more tolerable. So is, you know, assisted suicide, is, is that terminology plaguing 
this potential right. I don't know. But, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's, I just think it's different, though. I think it just has such a, a bad feel to it in people's minds, especially because it does, you know, it, it does pull those moral triggers for some people. And when you hear sure. the word suicide, you think, oh, that's no good. And, and you know, for me, probably thinking back to when I was younger and what I learned about the Bible, and I would probably say, you know, maybe I wouldn't do it. But I don't know until I'm in that situation how I feel. So it's it's really about personal freedoms. And I don't necessarily know that we're hitting that mark with the way that it's structured right now. Sure. No, we just we, we just need a better euphemism. I think I think you're right. I think you hit it on the head. <laughs> yep. So we're gonna have a Don't contest. PR, baby. You can never come up with a better word for assisted suicide. <laughs> you get a mug. <laughs> Physician aided ascension. Um, <laughs> Walmart. This is something we've talked. I think we've talked about this a couple times already in our. In our all too brief history so far. Walmart gender bias case revived on appeal. They did not have a DNR, apparently. Uh, plaintiffs who saw their class disbanded after accusing Walmart of discriminating against female employees can press their case again because the retailer has known of the allegations for years, the Sixth Court ruled. Now, in 2011, the Supreme Court disbanded the class in Dukes v. Walmart, a decades-old case, claiming women working for Walmart are paid less and receive fewer promotions than men in comparable positions. Walmart argued that the class of 1.5 million women was too big, and the employees should have to file individual lawsuits, and the high court agreed. Now, respondents filed some 120 affidavits reporting experiences of discrimination, about one for every 12,500 class members, relating to only some of 235 out of Walmart's 3,400 stores, Justice Anton Scalia wrote back in the day, citing the majority's opinion. Now, even if every single one of these accounts is true, that would not demonstrate that the entire company operates under a general policy of discrimination, which is what respondents must show to certify a company class or company-wide class, Scalia said. Now, after the Supreme Court's decision, Cheryl Phipps, Bobby Miller, and Sean Gibbons, unnamed class members in Dukes, filed suit in the Nashville, Tennessee federal court bringing the same claims. The Sixth Court revived this offshoot of Dukes on Tuesday, finding that the putative class claims are not barred by the statute of limitations. Walmart has been on notice of the claims brought against it and the generic identities of the plaintiffs who would potentially participate in any judgment since the nationwide class action complaint was filed in 21, 2001. The U.S. District, or excuse me, U.S. Circuit Judge Jane Stranch said, writing for the three-judge panel, therefore tolling the statute of limitations does not prejudice Walmart, as it will be, not be subjected to any unfair surprise, the court said. The Walmart now arguing that Permitting plaintiffs' suit to continue will allow serial class action litigation and create immense pressure for corporate defendants to buy peace and settle. But that apprehension need not bar legitimate class action lawsuits or distort the purposes of American pipe tolling. Instead, we follow the Supreme Court's lead and trust that existing principles in our legal system, such as, I'm, I have no idea how to pronounce it, stare decisions <laughs> and comedy among courts, are suited to and, co- and capable of addressing these concerns. Stretch said, now the court expressly made no decision as to whether the class is distinct enough to survive a class certification challenge. They just said they could go back at it. They're, so they right. threw them out once, they're back in it. You know? um, now, and, and I want to back up. Probably the biggest thing that Anton Scalia wrote that was important to me that I read in this is saying that 
because although they had 1.5 million as a class, that was to say in to go back and say, okay, we have this many saying this is happening, so therefore we're going to say there's a class action certification and everyone can join. But everyone doesn't necessarily join. Is that right? Yeah, here's how it works, right? So there's actually a couple of legal lessons here from this story. First of all, we'll talk about the class idea, class certification. When you file a class action, it, it can just be with you versus the defendant. And that's why... The mm-hmm. caption of this case is Dukes versus Walmart. It's not, you know, Dukes and Smith and Jones. You can be the class representative, and you can be a single person. What what happens throughout the case is through the period of discovery where you're exchanging documents and you're learning more about the claim, you can uncover people who are similar, similarly situated. In other words, people that have the same thing happen to them as you and they can become members of the class. And it isn't until that discovery process is completed and the plaintiff generally files a motion for class certification that the class becomes certified. So that's that's how the process of, of class action. You could have a class action going on for multiple years and never get to the point of certification because the certification comes well after discovery. So that's the idea there with certification. But another lesson that can be learned, and I think this is a lesson that can be learned for people who are even just going to file their own lawsuit, not a class action. This is just a procedural issue. One of the things they're talking about here is that Walmart had notice of these potential other class members, these potential other plaintiffs. When you file a lawsuit, you'll often see, if you're the plaintiff, that a plaintiff will sue a defendant, and let's say in this case that your claim, and this has nothing to do with class action, this is just a legal lesson to take away from this, your claim is against (laughs) A&P Supermarket, or Walt Disney World, because everybody sues Walt Disney World. There's there's actually um, two cases that are going to be going to trial this week against Disney that were brought by security guards both of whom are, um, are are not American, I believe, and they're mm-hmm. alleging you know discrimination. But let's say you're going to sue Walt Disney World. You might not know who in Walt Disney World is responsible for the discrimination that was created. You don't know if it's Disney World Resort. You don't know if it's Disney character something or other. But that's why these companies have all these different entities you know maybe you've got mm-hmm. all these different holding companies or different sub companies disney has an animation company there's there's hundreds of disney companies you can use the john doe or the abc corporation distinction as a placeholder to preserve your claim oh. against defendants that you are not aware of so you file a complaint against disney and you also allege John Doe's and ABC companies. What you're saying to the court is, Judge, there may be other defendants that we don't know about right now. And if we find them in the course of discovery, just because my statute of limitations has run against those people, the fact that I have this placeholder helps me bring them into the case. A, 
the main defendant is on notice of potential other defendants. And I've now preserved my statute of limitations. So if I sue Walt Disney World Resort, and it turns out that they're not the people that actually discriminated against me, it's Disney Animation Studios, that, that mm -hmm. ABC Corporation placeholder now preserves my mm -hmm. claim against Disney Animation. So that's something that, that's worth noting, because you're talking about notice, and you're talking about preserving your rights, statute of limitations. ABC Corporation is when you're going to sue another entity, and John Doe's or Jane Doe's are when you don't know the name of somebody else, but you know it's a person versus a company. And you actually list those in the suit. Yeah, in the caption itself, okay. you'll say, or or you'll stay mm -hmm. in the body of the complaint. You know, um, Walt Disney World, and you you talk about them for a second, and then you'll say ABC Corporations, and you'll say corporations involved in the discrimination who are currently unknown, something like that. So yeah, you name them; they're in the caption, and that preserves their their place in their lawsuit okay gotcha gotcha okay so then that's pretty much exactly what happened here you would believe oh yeah when they sued walmart um i think that they they filed a complaint that said plaintiff on behalf of a class oh okay okay, okay. so okay. now it's a little bit different because the plaintiff wasn't saying there might be other defendants out there the plaintiff saying it's walmart but the plaintiff alleges in his complaint that I am, I am appearing as a class representative, and therefore Walmart okay. knows or should understand that you're going to have other people in this thing. <laughs> oh, I think the thing is, is Walmart ever going to get caught? <laughs> I don't think anybody can stop Walmart. I bet you Walmart could, could sell the Confederate flag and automatic weapons and still be okay. <laughs> <laughs> buy the automatic weapon wrapped in a Confederate flag. Um, yeah. And some bacon. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah, they are that big. Um, speaking of being big but not untouchable, though, robocalls lead to a $230,000 fine for Time Warner up in Manhattan after Time Warner called the wrong customer 163 times. A federal judge left the telecom a six-figure message for damages under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. The first 10 robocalls made to Texas resident Arcelli King between July 3 of 2013 and August 11 of 2014 could have been chalked up to an honest misunderstanding. King had been assigned the same number as another customer who was a month behind on his bills, triggering the company's interactive voice response system. On October 3rd of 2013, she explained the mix-up during a seven-minute conversation with a Time Warner representative. But she said that more than 100 calls kept coming in until she sued the company earlier the following year. The robocalls persisted even after she filed the March 26, 2014 lawsuit. Uh, for each of the 153 calls following the initial conversation, Time Warner racked up a $1,500 penalty per call totaling $229,500. U.S. District Judge Alvin Hellerstein's ruling called it incredible that Time Warner argued it did not know that King did not consent to the calls. In his scathing ruling, Hellerstein ridiculed Time Warner for painting itself as an unwitting victim of an unpredictable statute. Time Warner had urged the judge not to turn what most people think of as an innocuous call to a wrong number, into a large penalty. Please, baby, please. 
The judge added that a responsible business could have sent a live agent to the customer the company had been trying to reach. Whether the agent's call was answered by Ms. King or her voicemail, the agent would quickly realize the mistake and fix the company's records so that the machine would not contact her anymore, the opinion states. The responsible company will reduce its exposure dramatically by taking proactive steps to mitigate damages, while its competitor, who unthinkingly robodials the same person hundreds of times over many months without pausing to wonder why it cannot reach him, cannot complain about much higher liability. Love this judge. In sounding the alarm about over-deterrence, Time Warner also misapprehends Congress's intent. Whatever balance Congress sought to strike between protecting customers and enabling businesses to reach them is inapplicable, whereas here, the caller is merely harassing or the caller is merely harassing its customers about outstanding bills. Time Warner Sportsman said that the company is reviewing the ruling and our options to determine how we are going to proceed. Good for the judge finally. Yeah. Now granted this is a little on the excessive time side of things. I can't I can't think of anyone I've ever even talked to as a friend maybe 163 times. Um but uh, now this is do you is, is this is kind of tie into that whole do not call list or yeah. is this something com- completely different? No, no, I think it I think it ties into that although that do not call list does not work. I'll tell you it just does not work, no, no. but um yeah, it, it it falls under the the Telephone Consumer Protection Act and really I think that companies like this should be fined because 153 sure. calls. It's ridiculous. You know, and for any of you out there who have ever had a bill collector call your house or even if it's a wrong number calling you over and over and over again it gets to be unnerving to see that number pop up all the time to to talk to them and when it's a robocall there's nothing you can do about it you know and right. it's really really frustrating just in in my office you know if you have a an employee who leaves or is no longer with you and and i i found that just getting like school calls and things like that. They just don't stop it. It's sure. a robocall and there's no way to end it. And it's like, all right, you know, enough. Um, but I think that companies should be held responsible because it's very easy to submit a number to a robo dialer and then have them annoy the crap out of you until you, you know, either give them your firstborn or, or do whatever it is that they wanted you to do. And it's especially unfair when it's not you. Wouldn't it be nice if there was some sort of accountability when it came to spam? Oh yeah, that like yeah, like a law. <laughs> that would be yeah. something. <laughs> that where you could you know I, I've unsubscribed to this. Stop sending me the joke of the day. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, but it, it, there's no. I don't know. I don't see anything in sight on that because the it's so widespread. The internet. I mean, it's, you got some guy in Russia sending you emails every morning about uh, what kind of drugs you can take to make your sex life better. Yeah. Um, this doesn't, uh, you, you can love you all the fines you want on to old Igor and he's not going to uh, feel the pain. <laughs> no, he's um, not going to pay you either. <laughs> no, 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 he's not. If anything, he's just going to send you more emails. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cause now he knows you're there. I think the yeah. intent, that's that's yeah. always the thing. Don't answer that email. <laughs> you know, I think the thing with the internet, which is very, it's it's very interesting because I think the internet, we have all these laws that are in place over the last ten to, to twenty five years, and we're constantly evolving them. And a lot of the companies are sort of self patrolling companies like Constant Contact, where if you're going to send out a mass mailing email list, they actually do some checking to make sure that. 
if they receive a spam report, you know, that you're not habitually spamming and they could remove you from their service. But I think mm -hmm. overall, I think that the, the Internet, it's like walking a tightrope because you fall off one way and you're in the unlawful, you know, galaxy of, of the unknown <laughs> where you can do anything. So I think that we live oh, no, this, absolutely. This, almost this false sense of security that there's laws out there to protect us on the Internet when I don't think anybody really can control the Internet. And I think if it ever got to the no, point no. where you were going to control it, then it's like you live in you know, Iraq or Iran, and, and now you're not allowed to have access to the Internet at all. Sure. Well, and you look at, look at identity theft. I have to pay a third party to make sure that the number that my government assigned to me at birth or when my parents decided to sign me up is protected. Yeah. And not very well at that OPM or OMP yep. Or yep. officer personnel management. Yeah. <laughs> they can't even protect their own people, let alone mine. Right. Um, and I, I, I find that comical at best, but you know, I'm sure in, in, in the back of the minds of the, uh, of the bureaucrats. It's like, oh, look at us. We created an industry. All right. High fives all around. Yeah. <laughs> Job creators, yes, we are. Although it's caused by our own lack of effectability, effectiveness when it comes to policing anyone. But hey, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. I guess the same could be said about the gun industry. If cops were better, we wouldn't require guns, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, you know, that, that's just so oh, fascinating anyway. about the government. And, and I hate to pick on the government. But, you know, in, in, so in having, <laughs> yes, having nothing to do with this, when you talk about the yeah. government and their ability to control and patrol and, and you know, protect your data, here, here's something that baffles my mind, right? We can pinpoint a terrorist sitting on a toilet in the middle of nowhere, but it took it took New York State how long to find those two escaped criminals who broke out of the prison? I don't understand that. Yes, I really. If, if really government don't. wasn't so good at being ineffective, that's that's why people. Are, oh, the government should do that. Oh, the government. No, I don't want the government doing anything that they don't absolutely have to because they don't do what they do very well and they do it for the most expensive price anywhere <laughs> yeah and then you know it, it makes the, you start to wonder what's true what's not true i don't know sure yeah no it's not know. <laughs> it's a time i think it all started with the uh with was it with the 500 hundred dollar toilet seats back in the 80s in the military yeah. <laughs> that's right <laughs> People realize, wow, the government really isn't an effective bunch of bozos. It's amazing yeah. um, that it took something like that. So, <laughs> uh, do you remember? Of course, you probably do. The bikers, the sons of anarchy, the shootout at yes. the uh, Twin Peaks in Waco. Well, I'm sure we laughed about it when it started, but here comes the litigation. The widow of one of nine bikers killed in a shootout at a Twin Peaks in Waco sued the restaurant's franchisees and form, franchisee and former corporate parent, claiming they profited from selling alcohol to armed gangs. And they weren't going to give it away for free, that's for sure. <laughs> Mary E. Rodriguez and her family sued Chalak Mitra Group, Peak-tastic Beverage, Front Burner Restaurants, and Twin Restaurant Investment Company on July 2nd in Dallas County Court. Ramirez says her late husband 
Jesus Delgado Rodriguez, 65, was not a member of any motorcycle gang when he was killed in the parking lot shootout between the Cossacks and Bandidos. Those are the motorcycle gangs. And, of course, then law enforcement was involved as well. Another 18 people were injured and 177 people <laughs> had been arrested and held on $1 million bonds each. Now, Rodriguez echoed criticism of the Waco police having levied against, or excuse me, that the, the Waco police levied against the restaurant's management for hosting regular motorcycle club events. In the months leading up to the incident in question, law enforcement became aware of a specific dispute between rival motorcycle gangs in Texas, Rodriguez says in her 11-page complaint. On May 1, 2015, the Texas Department of Public Safety issued an advisory statement to police warnings of to, to police warning of the likelihood of conflict between rival motorcycle gangs as tension between the gangs remained high in Texas. Local police confronted management at the Waco Twin Peaks with the intelligence they had received and their safety concerns about hosting the event. But Twin Peaks was resistant to the concerns of law enforcement, as it had been in the past. <laughs> Three days before the shootout, the chain's national headquarters in Dallas failed to cancel the event despite being contacted by police, Rodriguez claims. She says that when police tried to enter the restaurant on the day of the event, managers asked them to leave. Rodriguez claims the defendants failed to provide adequate security and profit from gathering together armed rival gangs to sell them alcohol. Twin Peaks and Shellac would not be could not be commented reached for comment after business hours on Wednesday. Now she's seeking punitive damages for premises liability, negligence, gross negligence, and wrongful death. Apparently, if you run with dogs, you don't get fleas anymore. Yeah, is what this now is. What, what is this guy's affiliation though? With he wasn't part of the the, the gang. Who was? Apparently, you know, he was just a he was just a bike. He was just a biking enthusiast. Oh, I got he was just there. Okay. He was just there. I just like to ride motorcycles. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, no, he was um, apparently or allegedly not a willing participant in either of the games. Uh-huh. And either, uh-huh. even if he had been, even if he had been, does she still have a case, or does she think All she right. does? Again? Well, I mean, she thinks she. The biggest does, thing is the, I mean, the neglect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was just there to check out the Twin Peaks, apparently. And I guess that's all he was there for, not yeah. not to be part of this rival right. shootout. Okay. Right. Um, it does make a difference to me if he is part of the motorcycle gang, because if he is, then I think there's no claim. There's no negligence because it's an intentional act, which is not foreseeable, which would take it outside the realm of wow. negligence against the restaurant. But if he is just a motorcycle enthusiast there for a bike show, going to check out the Twin Peaks, maybe she has a claim and maybe they settle because I don't think that that this is something that they'd necessarily want to try because it highlights the fact that, look, if if what she's alleging is true or there's any sort of um, modicum of truth to this that they knew that they were inviting two rival biker gangs to a biker hangout in, in their in their establishment and that these these gangs are prone to violence, maybe there is some negligence here because you know what it comes down to this. A, do they have a duty of care to its to their patrons? And the answer is yes. Sure. Now when you go into the breach of duty phase, did they breach the duty? And then that triggers the question of foreseeability. So was it foreseeable that this guy would be killed or could potentially be in a situation where he could be injured. Was it foreseeable that violence would ensue? And if you believe what they allege in the complaint, that the police had notified Twin Peaks and told them, 
and they call the corporate headquarters, then you might be able to establish foreseeability. You know, yes, it's foreseeable that when you have, you know, the Aryan nation and uh, and its <laughs> rival gang, okay, you're going to have a rumble. So I think that maybe there's something to this, but his actions are definitely going to be something that, that the court's going to look at. I think, though, that if Twin Peaks was smart, they're a, they're a really big establishment, a big chain. I think that they would probably settle, mm-hmm. make this go away, and keep all of these allegations out of the public's eye because then it makes them look as though they did this intentionally. Well, that's the thing. I'm trying to remember if if the reason why was there a bike night that they did or why was why was this place the gathering place? I'm trying to go back on some of the articles and and find out what the um, you know what 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 the reason for everyone being there was. It just someplace that they decided to hang out or was it a bike night? And so if it was a bike night, was it open to everybody? Why were two rival gangs there? And of course, apparently some non affiliated people. As right. well, and so that's where I'm, I don't. Yeah, I don't that, I'm not. I'm, I'm sure I'm not looking looking deep enough. Well, I think that the idea of foreseeability in a negligence case of any sort is it really hinges upon um, what it goes back to the reasonable reasonable person standard. So, does a reasonable person believe, or could a reasonable person foresee an issue when you have people? that are are in I mean we're talking about motorcycle gangs we're not talking about two rival cub step cub scout troops that these are motorcycle gangs and you know that historically through the news that they're prone to violence so if you're going to bring people prone to violence to gather or you you know they're going to be there even if you're not making that affirmative representation of hey bring your bikes you know Bring bring your your girls and your guns. I still think that you have a duty. So I think maybe there's something to this. Yeah, and, and from from a lot of I went back finally, and, and it looks like they were having bike nights per se. But who knows who knows what's going to happen with this? But like you said, I think you're probably right that that's just going to go away. They'll buy, they'll buy some pieces. We'll quote the Walmart article. Yeah, I would want us. I would want to settle this because you know what? We see it now in the news. We're talking about it today. We're reading the allegations, but if they settle within a reasonable amount of time, this just goes away, and nobody ever remembers this. People just, you know, they forget. Sure. No. Well, we'll see what happens, of course. And obviously, if she sues, there's going to be other. If she sues and wins, there will be more. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's paying attention, um, you know, we talked a little bit about personal rights and the right to die, and and I probably should have located this story up near that, but um, in or- Oregon. Well, put it the same place where you can die if you like. Um, allows 15-year-olds to get state-subsidized sex change operations. You know, wah, 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 what? Uh, the list of fif- things 15-year-olds are not legally allowed to do in Oregon is long. You can't drive. You can't smoke. You can't donate blood. You can't even get a tattoo or you not even go to a tanning bed. But under a first-in-the-nation policy quietly enacted in January that many parents are only finding out about now, 15-year-olds are now allowed to get a sex change operation. Many residents are stunned to learn that they can do it without parental notification, and as another kick in the groin, the state will pay for it through its Medicaid program, the Oregon Health Plan. Um, 
It is trespassing on the hearts, the minds, the bodies of our children, said Lori Porter of Parents' Rights and Education. They're our children, and for a decision, a life-altering decision like that to be done, unbeknownst to a parent or guardian, it's mind-boggling. In a statement, the Oregon Health Authority spokesperson, Susan Wickstrom, explained it this way. Age of medical consent varies by state. Oregon law, which applies to both Medicaid and non-Medicaid Oregonians, Oregonians, states that the age of medical consent is 15. Well, 15 is the medical age of consent in the state. The decision to cover sex change operations specifically was made by the Health Evidence Review Commission, or HERC. Members are appointed by the governor and paid by the state of Oregon with no public debate. HERC changed its policy to include cross-sex hormone therapy, puberty-suppressing drugs, and gender... I'm, I'm with two daughters. I'm interested in puberty-suppressing drugs. I'll just say that. And gender reassignment surgery as covered treatments for people with gender dysphoria formerly known as gen- gender identity disorder. I want to m- remember that word, disorder. Herc officials refused repeated requests by Fox News for an interview and gave Fox News inaccurate information about the medical director's work schedule. Trying to get around the interview. Oregon Health Authority officials directed Fox News to their website. It shows transgender policy was discussed at four meetings in 2014. It was passed without any opposition or even discussion about teenagers' new access to undergoing a sex change. Gender dysphoria is classified by the American Psychiatric Association as a mental disorder. Again, remember the word disorder, in which a person identifies as the sexual opposite of his or her birth. It is rare, affecting one out of every 20,000 males and one out of every 50,000 females. According to a 2008 study published in the Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, most children with gender dysphoria will not remain gender dysphoric after puberty, meaning they'll go where they were told to go. The science is unsettled. A 2010 Murad study concluded very low quality evidence suggests sex reassignment improves gender dysphoria and overall quality of life. The authors admitted the evidence was sparse and inconclusive. So is it science at that point? The Oregon Health Authority could not say how many medical, or excuse me, Medicaid recipients have been treated for gender dysphoria since the new policy took effect in January. Oregon has 935,000 people enrolled in the Oregon Health Plan. Herc assumes that between 14 and 112 of them may be gender dysphoric. It's quite a gap. It estimates the total cost of adding cross-sex hormone therapy, puberty-suppressing drugs, and sex reassignment surgeries to the coverage Will be more, no, more, more, excuse me. Will be no more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars per year. But Herc also believes the state will save money somehow due to fewer suicide attempts. It estimates there will be one less suicide attempt per year. One. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates the coverage cost per suicide attempt in the U.S. is seven thousand two hundred thirty-four dollars. Um, disorder. So. If I have a disorder and the government says it's okay for me to don that disorder, they will provide me with drugs and a surgery to help me with that disorder so I can feel normal. My disorder is pedophilia. (laughs) What will the government now do for me to allow me to, well, enjoy my disorder? That's the way I look at it. By all means, I'm, I'm being somewhat of a devil's advocate, but that's, if it's a disorder, it's a disorder. Yeah. Well, then you go to, well, define disorder. What constitutes a disorder? What doesn't? <laughs> I mean, I'm good. that's why you're the lawyer. <laughs> it just, look, 
on its face, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because 15-year-olds cannot figure out what they want to do with their lives career-wise. You can't certainly, figure out what they want to do this afternoon. Right. I, I just think this is a terrible, <laughs> terrible thing because, hey, look, if somebody wants to have a, 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 a surgery later on in their life, go ahead and do whatever you want to do. I don't care. You know, Bruce Jenner is like, what, 105 and he's doing it? Do whatever you want to do. But as a kid, I mean, the same way we protect kids from from alcohol, from driving, from tobacco, from so many things where we say... Canning beds in Oregon. Exactly. I mean, you just can't make a decision at 15. How can you say something that's going to drastically change your life? Look... I've heard stories of people, and I'm sure this, you know, people are going to disagree with me, but I've heard stories about people who have experimented with same-sex relationships when they were in their teens and decided that, no, they want to go back to being heterosexual. And, and well, you know what I'm a not, lug is, right? I don't know what a lug is. I know what a big lug Lesbian. is. And, <laughs> Lesbian until no. graduation. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, Apparently that, it happens. I'm Is that a medical term? That is that is a term that you will find probably more in the uh um the urban dictionary than you will per se in Merriam Webster. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. So all right, so yes, exactly. A lug. That's my point. And they decide that now they're going to go back to dating guys. So much goes through the mind of a of a teenager. How can you allow them to make this life-altering and and forget about even the uh, effects of the surgery? It's a dangerous surgery. How can you make that decision at fifteen? Um, it it I I can't even imagine. I'm trying to think back when I was fifteen, and and trying to make decisions. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I think the only right decision I made with any degree of regularity was whether or not to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that's about um, right. You know, yeah, you, everything you, I don't say everything you did was wrong, but a lot of stuff you did needed correcting. <laughs> don't, don't, don't put your foot next to the chainsaw. Don't, <laughs> you know, there's don't, don't stick your finger yeah. into a cigarette lighter. <laughs> exactly. Don't <laughs> cut toward yourself. There are a lot of things that you, you know, you, you just you didn't you, you didn't do correctly, and and that was one of them was making decisions uh, in your daily life, let alone in your entire life that's going to plan out for the next forty or fifty years yeah. or longer. But yeah, that that I mean, and then again, the salt in the wound. Oh, and by the way, you're paying for it. Yeah. Because what what fifteen year old has health insurance? None. Not unless it's, it's through their insane. parents. Then at that point, I think your parents are going to figure it out when they start getting the the, uh, the statements. <laughs> or when your boy starts wearing a dress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Another dead giveaway. Wait a minute. <laughs> Something Some looks are going to become evident. <laughs> Did you change your hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't... Uh, it's kind of... This, this to me seems like one of those laws that you read about in a hundred years it says, did you know it was illegal or did you know it was legal to walk a chicken down the street in a leash? You know, it's, this seems like right. one of those, 
asinine laws that don't make yep. any sense. And not just because, you know, I feel, I feel badly for somebody that doesn't identify with their job. I feel badly for them because they're going to have a struggle and, yeah. and it's going to be difficult for them to be happy. And if it's my child, then I'll deal with it. I will deal with it until they're 18, <laughs> yep. until they can do it on their own, or worse yet, when they're 22. I mean, again, you, you know, that's, that's the thing with college and stuff. You know, when kids make decisions about uh, things all the time. I just don't see that any, any – the only good that comes out of this is their expectation of one fewer suicide. Yeah. And, and, and it's that's such a, it's such a, it's a non number for me. It's, it's just a non statistic. Well, it's, it's one is an estimate. If you're estimating one, then you could very well estimate zero because you have a plus or minus of one. (laughs) You know what? It's, this is the reason why we don't let kids get tattoos because they, you know, one day they like Ashley and the next day they like Samantha and now you've got Ashley tattooed across your chest. That's a problem. And Samantha you know? wants answers. Yeah, right. You know, I'm going to tell you, exactly. we're, we're, we're running out of time, so we'll probably end sure. on this story. But I want to tell you a funny story. Yeah. Well, it's not funny. It's funny in context stories. And you this got- is why I think that this law is absolutely ridiculous. I worked a case years ago where uh, in a high school there was a shop class and they let these kids use power tools, one of them being a table saw. So for those of you that don't usually know a, a table idea. saw, yeah, usually a good idea. Table saws have a blade that spins towards you. So you're going to slide a piece of wood through the blade as the saw is rotating towards you. And there's usually a guard <laughs> that goes on top of it. So... Now, again, you want to let your kids experience freedom and you want to let them make their own decisions. But at what point do you say a 15-year-old is going to make bad decisions? So there was a, a girl who, and I'm going to tell you the whole story because there's a part of it that's not related, but it's semi-funny. There's a girl who's in this shop class and she's making <laughs> this dresser. And she's actually pretty adept at woodworking. And she goes and she says to the professor, the, the instructor, I'm going to go use the table saw. He's not paying attention, says, okay, uh-huh, whatever. She goes and she takes the wood and she starts to make the cut. Now, mind you, there was no saw guard, <laughs> no blade guard on this thing because it had broken and the school couldn't afford to fix it. So she mm-hmm. pushes the wood through, the saw is spinning at her, and she makes the cut. And everything's great, and it's a perfect cut. Now, meanwhile... There's a girl out in the hallway who had just mouthed off to the teacher and was punished. So she's standing out in the hallway waiting for the instructor to come out and yell at her or send her to the principal's office. So after the girl makes the cut, there's a piece of scrap left behind the blade. So in her 15-year-old wisdom, she takes her hand and she swipes it behind the blade to knock off the scrap. And three of her fingers shoot off into the hallway. One of them hits the girl in the forehead, the one that was was being punished, right? And that was like... I think you're good. Yeah, you go back to the class now. Yeah, that was like the worst punishment ever. Imagine a flying bloody finger as it comes and hits Don't you, let me catch you in the Do it head. again. Do it again. It'll be a foot. Yeah. Um, Jesus. Damn. 
But you know what? The well, point, I, I the, thought I thought you were going to tell me that the wood she 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 was cutting on the wrong side and threw the wood and hit somebody. <laughs> no, it it actually because they they actually even though they didn't have a guard, they did have a stop so that the wood wouldn't come back and shoot at you. But you know the thing is is that this girl and it was it was kind of a sad story for sure, and I'm not making fun of her because yeah. she didn't really mean it. She was only 15, but the school had all of these rules in place: don't do this, don't do that. And clearing scrap while the blade is rotating was one of those things that you weren't supposed to do, but she did it anyway because she was 15. And so I just think that when you're 15, I don't care who you are or what you do. I don't think you're capable of making those types of decisions. And like you said, if one of my children decide that they have a gender identity issue, I'm not mocking that, criticizing that. I'm not criticizing if somebody says to me, I, I want to be a woman or a man or whatever. That's fine when you are at an age where you can make that decision for yourself. Not when you can go behind your parents' back, go to the state and have them pay for it and come home with breasts. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, and the funny thing is, is you're – with this particular all you'll be and if there's a saw involved in this you'll be losing a lot more than a finger so <laughs> it uh it does not make sense it, it, i say man do i understand it no i don't and i'm not going to pretend to but i do understand the fact that 15 is way too young to make a decision that, that again that's like saying taking a 15 year old say what would you like to be when you grow up well gosh i'll think i'll be a doctor well, okay, that's great. All right, boom, you're going to be a doctor. Not knowing that you're going to spend the next 12 years in school and mass uh, at least, and then amass a student loan debt of $250,000. Yeah. <laughs> that's, if you, yep. that's if you go to the University of America Small. <laughs> Get it online. <laughs> There's your, your better call Saul joke for the day. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 you can't make that decision. You know, and worse yet, you're committed to that decision. So when you get 12 years in, gosh, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Too bad. You're a doctor now. Yep. It doesn't matter whether or not you're good at it or anything else, or you've got to continue tw- 10 more years of schooling. You made that decision when you're 15. you got to live with it. Sorry, champ. Yep. Yeah, so that's absolutely that's the true. Whole thing. But so it becomes, I don't like to worry, deal in a world of absolutes, but that's, a, that's an absolute at that point. Or at least if it's not, it's going to be expensive and painful to reverse. Absolutely. Yep, so, and that's good why thing. I think that law is totally <laughs> stupid. I save that in my convenient Lorena Bobbitt member keeper. <laughs> like a trapper <laughs> keeper. Goes in, goes in the freezer. Yeah, hang on to that just in case. <laughs> <laughs> right, put it next to the wedding topper. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of oh, wedding toppers, go. It was my yeah. <laughs> 16th anniversary, 16th wedding anniversary on Saturday. You believe that? Oh, congratulations. Years? No. Thank you. I, my 15th coming up this, this September. Yeah. It's, uh, the people ask me, how long have you been married? I start with uh, too long. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm going for a number or not. Um, but congratulations. Thank you. I just cannot believe I've been married for 16 years. And like, how long did you, you know, date prior to be married? Uh Three years. So almost 20 years of your life. Yeah. And, and you know, it's just amazing when we talk about kids and their decisions that they're going to make at 15. 
when I think back now, you know, 16, 20, well, 20 years since I, I've, I've been dating and I knew her, 20 years of your life <laughs> go by in a blink of an eye. Yeah. And how many times and you're have, starting, <laughs> what, And how old you, were you then? And you're starting to wonder about the, how old were you when you decided to get married? And you're starting to doubt your competency, are you? <laughs> yeah. Yes. But you know, or at least just, your wife. Well, I always doubted that. But come on. Um, it's just really when you think about it from more of a, a philosophical or, or 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 just intellectual standpoint, the amount of time that we're here on Earth to do things, it's so quick. And how many times have you heard, Bob, or even you said, because I know I say it all the time, oh, if I only knew now, no, if I only knew oh, then God. what I knew now, and I'd love to be able to go back into my 20s and with this sure. knowledge today – and so it just when I hear that kids are going to be out and and the state says here this is for you we're going to give you access to this or that and it's it's legal so go ahead and do it it just it makes me kind of angry because oh, sure. I made a ton of bad mistakes as a as a kid I make mistakes all the time and and you know everybody does and I think that if you don't learn from them um, you know you have a problem but when you do learn from them. You hope that they're not mistakes that are not uh, sort of irreversible. Well, in, and, in November of 2008, I thought about buying Ford stock, and I kick myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a buck ten a share, or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. So no, you know, we we do. If everybody does, everybody does it, and, and yeah, you know, it's like I say, to make a decision that that is uh, that permanent. <laughs> Yep. Yep. So, and, and that's why you hate to see the government telling you that it's okay to do it, because then you're going to have kids yeah. say, "Yeah, but it's legal." So what? So what? I mean, it doesn't make also, it right. <laughs> I think it undermines the parents' authority. I think that to an extent, huh. when you've got a, a law in place that says, "Yeah, it's legal," well, and your kid says to you, "Yeah, it's legal," and where does that go? Well, not while you're in my house. That kind of thing. It just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help the argument. That's for that's for sure. And yeah, if, if I w- you would think that the age of consent is the age of consent. I'm sure there's some reason for it, but I'm sure it wasn't meant to be disport- distorted like this. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, on that note, we're gonna wrap it up. And, uh, <laughs> so we'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow with business and legal Q and A. We're gonna post the question that we're gonna get to later on on the website. And then Wednesday, we are back with on a different note. Now, we're working on, being that this is a new show, we're working on building our our guests. And it's possible that we might not have someone for Wednesday. But we're going to do the show anyway, and we're going to talk about, um, because that's, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going in and picking a band and kind of picking them apart and analyzing them from a third-party standpoint. I think that's still fun to do. Um, but if we do have a guest, we're going, to, we're going to make that known. We're going to post that on the website, too. We are working on a number of people for future shows, and I have no doubt that it's going to be great, and each show is going to get better and more entertaining. Um, so I'm excited about that. So that's Wednesday. And then Thursday, we've got Mike Brown from Death Wish Coffee, the best coffee I've ever had, and I'm not getting paid to say that. So that's Thursday. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> You know, and then not and then that I won't. I'm just not right now. <laughs> yeah, right. We just have we have a lot going on this month, and it's going to be really, really great. And for those of you who are into health and fitness and bodybuilding, 
especially if you were into it in the 80s and 90s, you'll remember the name Rich Gasperi, who was the runner-up for the Mr. Olympia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Rich now is, he owns one of the country's largest, most successful supplement companies, Gasperi Nutrition. And we're going to have him on. We're working out a date with him. We're looking towards September just because there's vacation time and things coming up. But I I have always loved Rich Gasperi. He was like kind of like my idol when I was bodybuilding because we were the same height and the same body type. I remember meeting him once when I was um, when I was bodybuilding, and it was just super great. So it's exciting to have him back on. But we're going to be talking about his experiences as a businessman, as as the founder creator of Gasperi Nutrition, which. You know, so many bodybuilders have just fallen by the wayside. You've never heard from them again, you know, like Arnold. Um, but sure. he has made something Corey about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> oh, I'm looking at a picture thought. right now with Rich and Joe, Joe Weider is in the picture with Rich Gasperi here, this picture I'm looking at. So. I think Corey all Everson. the Corey Everson, actually. Yep, I remember her. She was scary. Oh, yeah. Um, but, oh, yeah. You know, you have you've got people like Lee Labrada, who was in the era of Rich Gasperi, and I know Lee owns his own supplement company, but I don't think it's anywhere near as successful as Rich's. Um, Lee Haney, I know he owns a gym oh, yeah, Lee Haney, in yeah. Atlanta. Yep, but Lee Haney, I don't know that beyond that he has done as much as Rich, and and that's not critical; oh. it's just factual. And then you've got um, Dorian Yates. Do you remember Dorian Yates from England? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I do. Yes. I know he owns a gym, but again, I don't, they just have not risen to that level of success. And the most fascinating thing for me about Rich Gasperi is that he was never Mr. Olympia. But he is smart enough to take his success as, you know, runner up. And he did win so many competitions. And now to run this, this massive company, I think it's great. And so I'm excited to, uh, to talk to him about that. So that's coming up to a lot of good things. Oh, that is, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah, back in the 90s and, and when those guys were all around, yeah, early 90s, it's giving giving myself away when I'm, that's what I used to actually exercise, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I think I'm married. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I had hair. I had hair. You know what, 16 <laughs> years ago, I had hair and not on my back either. You need a TBT pick. all right before we wrap up uh, i I just want to thank again today's sponsor and today's show is sponsored by interconnect that's i-n-t-e-r-k-a-n-e-c-t.com they're a cloud-based video chat whiteboard service for professional service providers it's completely free check it out the links are on the show notes i really can't say enough about interconnect because it is the solution to all of the problems that we have when we're trying to collaborate with people who are not in our office. It's just this super easy, simple, unbelievable solution, completely secure, no login, no sign up, no cost. You just put in the other person's email address, they get an invite, they accept, and you are good to go. So um, I'd like to thank them, and I'd like to also encourage you to check them out because it really is a top-notch service. So thanks uh, to interconnect for sponsoring the show bob if you've got nothing else that's going to do it for me we'll be back uh tomorrow and then through the rest of the week anything else no, i'm just gonna watch the world get crazy i'm good
All right, very good. All right, everyone remember, this is something that we're going to work on, Bob. We're going to work on this. Every show I typically will say, remember that there's power in understanding the law, but I've got to address this, this, this issue. It's not just about the law of the law. It's the law of business. It's the law of personal success. And then it's, yes, the law. But when I say there's power in understanding the law, you have to understand that it's what this show is about, which is more than just the law. Because we talk about business, personal development, success. We talk about a whole host of things. And that's what I'm referring to. So I'm going to work on a new catchphrase. I'm going to start to work on that as soon as we're off the air. But that's where I'm going. <laughs> Listen so, next week or I'm coming for you. There's your, there's your tag. <laughs> so just remember that there's power. And I'm going to finish that statement next week. That's going to do it for today. Tune in most of the week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. And please don't forget to subscribe and to leave us some feedback because we love hearing what you guys think. We love being able to give you what you guys need. That's it. I'll see you next time. Bye.